Well, hey guys, thanks for joining us today, and let me say Happy New Year. And uh, today we're kicking off a brand new series called How Not to Be Your Own Worst Enemy, which is about how we can overcome some of the kind of negative behaviors that we do to undermine our relationships. And I think this is going to be a really interesting series for all of us, regardless of what stage of life that you're in, regardless of what relationships that you're in or that you're not in, because life for all of us is made up of relationships. Whether it's a relationship with your kids or with your spouse or with your roommates or the relationship with your friends or relationship with your coworkers or your boss, whatever it is, our whole life is made up of relationships. And I can't think of a better predictor of life satisfaction and life happiness than being able to maintain healthy relationships. So as I was prepping for this, one of the studies that I read uh, reviewed 148 other studies and found that people with strong social relationships were 50% less likely to die prematurely. And another study <coughs> of over 1,000 people found that these people who had endured a stressful event in their past, they experienced a faster recovery when they were just reminded of some of the strong relationships that they had in their life. All right, so that's on the good side. On the flip side, and I don't think we need any studies about this because we probably already know this, when you have a relationship that's going wrong, it's going sideways, things are going bad, we all know that nothing will consume your mind and nothing will consume your peace like a relationship that's falling apart. And so relationships are kind of key to life. And yet, there's a lot of what I would call relationship killers out there. And we're going to talk about uh, as many of those as we can in the course of this series. Now, what do you think is the number one relational killer? What, what would you think? Is it dishonesty? Is it incompatibility? All right, would you say unforgiveness? What, what would you say that it is? Well, the, the real truth of the matter is it kind of really depends on the person and the relationship. Because depending on that relationship, it, it could look completely different. We all sabotage our relationships in different ways, right? We can all be our own worst enemy, especially when it comes to relationships. But it does seem that all of us have at least one pattern in common that tends to sabotage, sabotage the relationships that we're in. But before we go there, I want to point out that the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. And in fact, it has so much to say about relationships, we're not going to even be able to cover most of what it has to say in this series. But all the way back, let's just start. Genesis tells us that in the very beginning, God is creating and everything is good. And he stands back and he observes creation and he observes something is not good. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, when the Bible talks about this aloneness, he's not saying it's not good that Adam is single. Uh, Adam was alone because he was the only person on the planet. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because increasingly in our day, I think people live very isolated lives. And because of that, they tend to put a whole lot of pressure on a romantic relationship or on a marriage to take away the aloneness that they feel. And here's the thing, it doesn't work. And you need to know this, being married offers no protection against the dangers of loneliness. And if you think it's miserable to be single and feel alone, you should try being married and feeling alone. Okay, So you have to change your expectations about how somehow romantic relationships are going to take away all of your aloneness. What the Bible was talking about here when it talked about Adam and being alone was this sense of connection. right? There's this sense of love that we all need. 
day in and day out. So what I want to do in this series is what we're going to do is we're going to use the wisdom from the book of Proverbs, right? Because there's so many relational principles in it. And if you're not familiar with Proverbs, I really would encourage you. This is a great book, especially first of the year, to start reading it. It's 31 chapters, so you can read one chapter every day, each and every month this year. That would be a great starting place for you to begin reading Scripture. And there are so many incredible things in Proverbs about relationships. So we're going to use it as a launching pad each week, and then we'll be looking at some other passages. And since I'm going to be using a lot of Proverbs over the next few weeks, I want to help you begin to understand what is a proverb? What, what actually is it? And to do that, there's generally three types of statements when you come to Scripture. All right, When you look at them, there's three statements. One are laws, right? Laws are just commands we're supposed to do. Most of us get that. Oh, that is a law or a rule or whatever it is. And you'll find laws all throughout scriptures. Exodus 20, 20, probably the most famous, where we have the Ten Commandments, right? This is an example. Don't steal, don't covet, right? Do not lie. These are clearly laws. There's something that I or we are supposed to do. Then you have the second type of statement that you find in scripture. These are promises, Okay, and I'm going to define a promise as a guarantee of what God will do or a guarantee of this is going to happen, right? So sometimes it's God will do this, sometimes it's a guarantee that this is going to happen. An example of this would be Deuteronomy 31.6 where it says, So be strong and courageous, do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you, and I love this next sentence, He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That is a promise for God, and you can lean into that. That is always true. God says, I will never fail you or abandon you. So that is promises. So you got laws, you got promises, and then you get to the category that we're talking about here, Proverbs. And they don't just show up just in Proverbs, but Proverbs is a catchy description of the way things generally are. Let me give you an example. This is out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 9. It says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home, right? <laughs> I, I get it. We can say that kind of jokingly, but if you've ever experienced, maybe it's a little bit true, or maybe she could say the same thing about you. But seriously, let's, let's get this proverb right here. Proverbs eleven twenty five. it says, the generous will prosper. Is that true? Well, yeah, I've seen lots of generous people prosper. Is that a guaranteed formula for success? No, it's a proverb. I've seen people who are generous who are also quite poor. So you have to understand that a proverb is not a promise, right? It's not a guaranteed success formula for business or relationships or parenting or finances. But I will say this, every time that I've leaned into one of these biblical proverbs, it has benefited me every single time. Time. So that's it. Generally, what is true is a proverb, right? Now, I'm going to share with you two proverbs that are going to set up today's topic. And the first one is found in Proverbs 29 23, where it says, Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. And then the other one is found in chapter 16, verse 18. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughtiness before a fall. Now, I could probably list 15 or more Proverbs that all deal with this central issue of pride and how pride is destructive, not only to your life, but pride is unbelievably destructive to our relationships. 
So that's the proverb. And each week, what I want to do from there is I want to give you an undermining behavior that makes us our own worst enemy. And then we're going to look at what God has to say about that. So we're talking about pride here. And the uh, undermining behavior that we're going to start with in this series is this. A need to be first. That if you have this me first attitude, this need that is me, 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 right? When you have pride, it drives you to this me first mentality. And eventually, it's going to burn down many of the relationships that you have in your life. And if you leave that pride unchecked, it will lead to other kinds of destruction and a life of destruction. So now we're going to go to Ephesians 5, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. And this is, in some ways, I will admit, a difficult passage, but there is so much unbelievable truth that's found in Ephesians chapter 5 that we want to go there. And I promise you, if you'll adapt this principle into your relationships, you will see unbelievable growth in every one of those relationships. But there, um, there's a lot of things that we can work through in this passage, and I'm going to explain a lot of them. It's a bit of a longer passage, and what I'm going to do is just kind of break it down for you as we go. So Ephesians chapter 5 will begin in verse 15, where Paul says this. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is is. All right? And as we jump in, there's this understanding in the Bible that our focus as humans is always going to be on how do we live better. And that's generally true about all of us. And if you don't believe me, let's just go to a bookstore. If you go to a bookstore this afternoon, there will be tons and tons of books to help you live a better life. It's called self-help. Right? We all want to live better. One of the biggest sections inside that self-help section will deal with relationships. There'll be all kinds of books about how to find the right person. There'll be books on how to find the right friends, right? And finding right friends is really important. We're actually going to talk about that topic in a couple of weeks. But there'll be books on how to find the right spouse, right? There are all kinds of books on how to have a better relationship. How do you find this and how do you find that? And what you have to understand, and this is important for this entire series, is that the overwhelming wisdom in the Bible when it comes to relationships, it is this. The most, it's, it's more important to be the right person than it is to find the right person. Right? It's more important to be the right person. For some of you, right, you might get a little frustrated as you go through the series because when you think about relationships... You always want to focus on that other person and what they need to do, right? That friend that is driving you nuts, that family member who's just wearing you out, or your husband who just won't do the things that you want him to do, your wife who seems like, well, she's just not all that interested anymore, right? We want to go to what other people need to do. But understand, the overwhelming majority of the wisdom that comes from the Bible, especially in Proverbs, when it comes to this idea of relationships, is centered around this principle that it is more important to be the right person than it is for you to find the right person. And becoming the right person, I can tell you, that is a lot more difficult, right? And it is harder than we think sometimes. How many of you have ever been in a relationship at any point in your life with an emotionally unhealthy person, right? You, you can raise your hand. It's, you know, okay? Now, here's the thing. This is a little bit sobering to think about. Somewhere 
Someplace, somehow, someone is asking that question and someone is raising their hand and they're thinking about you. Right? That's true. And so you have to understand, and I think this is really important, when it comes to relationships, the problem always involves two people fully capable of sin. Two people fully capable of sin. In other words, let me put it this way. The biggest problem in every relationship is not that some of us are unhealthy. That's what we think, right? Oh, they're just unhealthy. But the problem is that all of us are unholy. So the problem, when you want to dive deep into some of these relational problems, the problem is that we're all sinful, right? It's sin. So that's why the focus has to be on being very careful, as Paul said, how you live. Be careful how you live. Now he goes on. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So, obviously, I don't think drunkenness is a wise decision for any relationship. No one's ever got drunk and been like, you know, that was really good for my relationships, right? But what I do want to point out is that Paul is probably not talking about just normal drunkenness as we think about it, right? And the reason I want to talk about this, we need to understand this. The Bible, you need to understand, the Bible is written for us, but not necessarily to us, right? It's written to a group of people. And in this case, this is a letter written to a church in Ephesus. And what's happening in Ephesus is there's a group of people in the church who have kind of slid back into this cult that was very popular in Ephesus. There was an ancient Greek cult that worshipped the god of wine, who was the son of Zeus. And the way that this cult worked is people would just drink and drink and drink and drink until they were drunk. And they believed that the God of wine then would enter into their body and they'd begin prophesying through kind of frenzied music and frenzied dance. Now, I get it. Some of you might call that last Friday night. But this was an actual religion. So Paul is talking to them and he says, look, look, that is not good. It's not wise. Don't do that. Instead, he said, here's another option. So he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And by being filled with the Spirit, what he's talking about here is life with God. Be filled with the presence of God. This idea that as I go through life, I'm going to be surrendered to God. I'm going to live for the enjoyment of God. I'm going to try and live in constant surrender to the will and to the desires of God. That's what he's talking about. And then he's going to tell us what happens when you begin to live this life in the Spirit. Life for God and with God. So he says, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So what he's saying is when you live a life, surrender to God, and when you live for the enjoyment of God, the first thing that happens is that you speak in a certain way that actually points people towards God. So he goes on. He says from these songs, he says, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So he's saying go through life with a sense of worship. Go through life with a sense of how good God is. Go through life with this sense of joy. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God for the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you need to develop this, this overwhelming habit of gratefulness. And then he says this very important verse, and this is where some of us are going to get hung up. Verse 21, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. So basically what he's saying is he's leading up to all of this. There's four verbs when he says this. He says, instead be filled with the Spirit. He's saying there's a way that you're going to speak. There's a way you're going to live your life with joy. You're going to live with this never-ending sense of gratitude, and you're going to live a life because of that of submission to other people. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of your relationships. Isn't it true that if you learn to speak in a way that you point people towards God and you point people towards the best version of themselves, that is going to be better for every one of your relationships? Isn't that true? Of course it's true. And then isn't it true that if you learn to live a life with a heart of worship, meaning a life that's overflowing with joy, that would be beneficial for every single one of your relationships, right? Well, of course it would. And if you learn to live your life where you're giving thanks to God for everything, where you're living your life with this amazing sense of gratitude, wouldn't that be beneficial to all of your relationships? Well, yeah, of course. Now, here's the one that we get stuck on. Isn't it true that if you live your life submitting to all the other people around you, that would be beneficial for you and for all of your relationships? Now, I know you're going to pause there, so let me just go ahead and answer. Yes, it would. But we need to dig into this a little bit more because I, I get it. This is where we all get stuck. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of submission. In fact, there have been a, a tremendous amount of confusion in the church over this one verse. And there are a few things that, that we have to understand. First of all, nobody gets off the hook here. right? The, the, this is not geared towards one particular person or one particular group. This applies to everybody. It's not like there's a bunch of people that have to live their life and be in complete submission, and then there's another group of people who get off the hook. They don't have to submit to anybody. They just get to lead everybody. That's not how it works. This is universal. Everybody submits to one another. So why do we do that? Why, as Christ followers, why would we submit to one another? He says it's out of reverence for Christ. Let's talk for just a minute about submission. I know that word submission, unfortunately, has been used to generate oppression towards certain groups of people, and specifically, but not limited to, women. So I want to be real clear that when he talks about submit, He's not talking about allowing other people to walk all over you in very unhealthy ways. That, that's not what submit means. Submit does not mean give up my ability to make responsible decisions and give that to someone else. No, that's not what submit means. When I submit to somebody, I'm loving them with a humble, other-focused love. That's really what it means to submit. It means in the relationship with the person I'm submitting to, I'm not going to make my needs and my desires the number one priority in our relationship. Now, if I submit to somebody, does that mean I don't have needs and I don't have desires in that relationship? No, that's not what it means at all. Having needs and having desires in your relationship is absolutely fine. When I submit to somebody, what I'm saying is my needs, my desires, my happiness, it's not my number one goal in this relationship. Instead, I'm submitting to you. I want to be able to meet your needs. I want to help you meet your desires. I want to serve you. I want to submit to you in the context of this relationship. That is essentially what Paul is talking about here. 
And I know this is tough because whenever we talk about this, uh, there are some of you thinking, nope, I do not want to submit to any person. I'm, I just do not want to do that. And, and I get it. Again, go to the relationship section of any bookstore, and I promise you, you're probably not going to find any books on how to be more submissive. Right? That's just not a best-selling book because generally we don't want to submit to anybody. Right? We want to lead. We want to lead everybody. We want to be strong. We want to be powerful. We want to be impressive. Right? As human beings, that is something in us. That's what we really want. But Paul is calling us with the wisdom of God to be submissive. Now, again, what does that mean? Let's say I'm going to submit out of reverence to Christ. What, what does that mean? Well, again, the basic idea is I'm willing to put somebody else's need and their desires ahead of my own. Now, again, in most relationships, people tend to think if I could just get all of my needs, if I could just get all of my desires met, then I would be happy. But I've never met anyone who's achieved lasting happiness in a relationship by making their own happiness their number one goal. Because here's the thing. Let me put it this way. Happiness in a relationship is not a goal. Happiness in a relationship is a byproduct. Happiness only comes when we're pursuing something that's bigger and grander and more noble and more eternal than our own happiness and feelings and desires. As long as you continue to pursue just your own feelings and just your own needs in the context of any relationship, you will eventually sabotage that relationship. And this gets us to a very important principle. The relationship we all want, right? Those types of relationships come not when I get what I want, but when I give what I have. And this is a paradigm shift. And it's what the Bible is trying to help us think differently about. Because this idea of going into all your relationships, whether it's relationships with your roommates or your friends or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your kids, if you're going into that relationship seeking to have all your needs and have all of your desires met, eventually, as I said before, you're going to sabotage that relationship. And the best example of this upside-down way of thinking is Jesus. I mean, Jesus constantly instituted this law of inversion. He would say things like, the way things work with God is that the first are actually last. The servant is actually going to be greatest. And if you're willing to lose your life, in other words, if you're willing to let go of everything, your need to have everything, if you'll let go of it, you'll find life. But if you cling to it, you're going to lose it. All right? And this is how Paul, the same guy who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he said this to another group of followers in another city called Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, this is what he says to them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. That's a great example of what it looks like to submit in the context of a relationship. And listen, I know that for some of you, what he is saying, it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me, the things that Paul says. I, I, I get it because I've got needs. I've got desires in every one of the relationships that I have. And it would make sense that the best way to have those needs met would be for me to make those needs and those desires a priority of mine. 
And I understand why you would think the way that you're thinking. But if you are, you're wrong. It's not the way it works. This is an example of that law of inversion. Everything is flipped upside down. And at the end of the day, what you're really looking for will not come by making it your number one priority to have your needs and your desires met. Instead, the way that you'll find life, the way that you'll find help, the way that you'll find peace in all of your relationships is by submitting to one another. And when you do that, everything changes. Jesus modeled this for us. He, he gave himself up on a cross because that's what love does. Love gives. Love submits. It doesn't focus on one's needs, but it focuses on the needs of others. And I just find it unbelievably ironic that our relationship with Jesus starts in this very same place. Our relationship begins with me submitting, surrendering my own will and saying, I can't do this on my own. And today, I'd love to invite you to do that. Maybe you've been hanging around with us for a while, right? And uh, you've been exploring out this thing called Christianity. You've been exploring faith and trying to figure out what it's all about. You know, maybe you're kind of wondering, well, where does the relationship with this Jesus begin? It begins right here. It begins with submission and it begins with surrender. And uh, if you've never uh, confused that, I, or if you've ever never confessed that, I should say, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So let's pray together. Jesus, um, I just want to start today by submitting. I, I am looking, I just want to surrender my relationship to you. And God, I get it. I understand what you did for me by giving up your life for me. So Heavenly Father, with, with as much as I understand in this moment, I want to confess my decision to make you the Lord of my life. I submit to your Lordship, and I'm going to go your way, not mine. The Bible teaches that that simple prayer, that simple confession, is the beginning of your journey. Jesus, and congratulations for that. So God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we get to spend over the next couple of weeks talking about the patterns in our life that tend to sabotage our own life. And I know that there are some people today that they're hurting, right? They have a friendship that's fallen apart. Uh, maybe they have a, a marriage that's gotten off on the wrong tracks. Maybe they have some coworkers that they've gotten sideways with, or maybe they have some kids that are very distant and those kids don't want anything to do with them right now. Relationship pain, God, is so difficult and it is so hard. So God, over the next few weeks, would you just open our mind and open our heart? Help us to understand how always being me first is not really healthy for our relationships. But the goal is to actually empty ourselves and submit to others to put their needs and their desires before us. Because somehow in doing that, we actually discover the happiness and the joy that we're desperately looking for. God, we thank you so much for your wisdom. We thank you for how it's going to be applied to all of our relationships. Come, Lord Jesus, redeem and restore our relationships. In your name we pray. Well, hey, friends, thanks for kicking off your new year today with us. If you think today's message might be valuable to somebody you know, would you mind sharing this video? Uh, not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you help us accomplish our mission 
to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, hey, it's a new year. I would love it if you would start your new year off by heading over to our website, uh, clicking the big green button that's there uh, on the top and choosing one of the giving options that's there. It's your faithful support that helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. So as we begin this whole new year, 2024, let me begin by rereading that passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. As you live this week, may you do nothing with a me-first attitude. May you always look to the interests of others, and may you feel the presence of God in doing so. Hey guys, have a blessed week. I'm so thrilled to have you with us. Can't wait to have you back next week as we continue in this series.